0: Amen. If you are able, would you remain standing uh, to hear God's word that comes to us this morning from Jeremiah chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that enter the gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings and let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien and the orphan and the widow or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place and in the land that I gave you of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know I too am watching, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, we are in this series of sermons looking at Jeremiah, and if you were with us last week, you know that the, the little nation of Judah has gone down the hill spiritually, morally, ethically. The nation is disobedient. They have turned their back on God. And this week we discovered not only that, but they're using God. To justify all of their bad and wrong behavior they're not being faithful to the covenant with God that special relationship he was going to be their God and they were going to be his people. They thought you know look things are bad things um, maybe maybe our society isn't great, but God's never going to judge us. we're not going to have any problems here because he's here, the temple's here His house is here on this in, in, right in the center of our of our biggest city we're we're going to be just fine this is the place where God dwells where heaven and earth are connected and it bears the Lord's name why would why would God ever think otherwise this is where he chose to be God will protect us he'll protect Jerusalem and Judah and the temple and so they continued in their sin and they would go through the motions of temple worship services and think things are just fine And the prophets would tell them, or I should say the false prophets, reinforced this by saying things to them like, oh, God won't do anything. No disaster will come upon us. And peace, peace, everything's just fine. Now, I suspect that temple worship was quite wonderful. I suspect that in the temple they had a marvelous choir, a marvelous choir, Um, I suspect they had an incredible harp player. Not quite as good as Heidi, but they had a marvelous one. They had a good children's program. They had dynamic preaching in their worship in the temple. The donuts that they served outside were the best kind of donuts. The coffee was really good. Fellowship time was absolutely fabulous. So what's the problem? What was the problem? The problem was not their worship, The problem was how they acted during the week. The problem was what they did and left undone, what they said. The problem was all of the Ten Commandments that they kept breaking, knowingly breaking. The problem was that they they had other gods and they worshipped other deities in their homes, even in the temple. What's the problem? Well, God was watching. God was watching. He saw all of it. He knew what their life was like during the week, how they neglected the poor, abused the commandments. He, he knew that it was destroying their families. There was shocking behavior, even child sacrifice happening. Think about that. To the worship of other gods. It was horrendous what was going on. And the society was being hurt, and the people were being hurt, and the Lord was abused. And when they walked into the temple, when they walked into worship, they had this mantra. They had this saying. They would say, this is the house of the Lord. This is the house of the Lord. This is the house of the Lord. As if to say, we're fine. No problem here. The Lord's house. We are in his house. We're safe and we're fine. And God calls on Jeremiah to preach a fiery sermon Now, Jeremiah was not invited to preach in the temple. He would never have been asked to preach in that esteemed pulpit. But God told him to go stand at the gate as people are walking in and begin to preach. And it's a fiery sermon, letting them know how God felt about their behavior. And it called them to change their ways and to change their actions. And if they did, then God would continue to meet with them in the temple and let them live in the land But he said, God's watching. He knows what you are doing. They worshiped with energy in the temple, and they thought that that was enough. And that was a deception. They were listening to lying voices telling them, it doesn't matter how you live. I'm trying to imagine this week if, as we gathered into worship in our sanctuary, if if a preacher that we didn't know stood out in our courtyard with a megaphone and began to preach to us. And began in a very fiery way saying, You need to know, people, this is what the Lord thinks of you. He knows you, He knows what you do. And if he had some disparaging things to say about Presbyterians, particularly, and imagine having a megaphone and standing out there, we're just trying to come into worship. And if he was preaching at us saying, And by the way, you need to know how God feels about people who live in Scottsdale. He's got big problems with people who live in Scottsdale. And another thing, he doesn't even like Americans. Can you imagine how we would feel as we're here coming into worship? I mean, that would be jarring. I mean, we would be looking at like, who is this? And why is he saying these things? Jeremiah was beaten, imprisoned, slandered, called a traitor, and God called him to preach this sermon. God said, I want you to go and speak to the people and tell them how I feel about their behavior. And they hated Jeremiah for it. They hated him. He said, the Lord's watching. He sees. He sees that you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury, and you burn incense to Baal. You follow other gods that you haven't known, and then you have the nerve to come into this house which bears my name, and say, oh, we're fine, we're safe, everything's just going to be fine. And then he says, has this house become a den of robbers? Reminds you of another preacher named Jesus who said the same thing about the temple. You know, it's a pretty powerful thing to kind of grasp that the Lord not only watches us and sees what we do, but he also sees our motivation for why we do it. <laughs> he knows. He's watching. He's watching. I mean, I I wonder why we came to worship this morning. There's probably a lot of different motivations for why we would come to worship. For different reasons. I mean, if you think about it, worship is nothing really productive here. The coffee isn't all that great at church. (laughs) I mean, I don't think that's a reason, maybe. Donuts are pretty good. The preacher is—he gets long-winded. He's not, not nowhere near as clever as he thinks he is. Choirs pretty good, music, but what's our motivation? I think deep down, and this is hard to admit, because I've been through this in my life, and I think it's really true in our society. It's something we don't talk about. But one of the motivations for coming to worship is, deep down, we think, well. This is what God wants me to do, and so if I come on occasion, then at the end of the day, when that checklist is revealed, God's going to go down and go, well, I can see that you were there, um, you know, twice a month during the year. Uh, What does it look like? Oh, you're in Phoenix. It was really hot, so you only went once in the summer, Um, but you know, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's certainly better than most, so well done. You made it. You can come on in. Now, I know we don't talk about that, but it's kind of a deep motivation. Like, why are we here? Are we trying to... If that's our thinking, and I think it's true in our culture, let's be honest. What we're really doing is managing God. We're managing God. And we're saying, God, I got this scorecard figured out. I've done my part. I'm doing my part. I'm showing up to that boring worship service. Now, you need to do your part. And it completely misses why we're here, why we should be here. And it completely misses who God is and his character. Because the reason we worship is because his love is not something that we could ever, ever earn. It's prior. It's amazing. It's astounding. It's deep. Worship is a response to that knowledge. So, kind of an important thing, this sermon that Jeremiah gave is is about the people's actions and their motivations. How do we know if what we're doing here is rightly motivated? I think it's rightly motivated if, if we're saying with our hearts and our mouths, we're saying three things. There might be more, but three kind of core things. The first is to arrive in worship and to say, Lord, I am sorry. I'm sorry. It's acknowledging that he has seen everything that I have done and everything I have thought, everything I've neglected this past week, and kind of acknowledge, why hide? <laughs> he sees, he knows. So to come to worship, you have to, we, we get to have a contrite spirit that says, Lord, I am so, so sorry. I'm sorry. I have sinned. We, we confess together. We say words of confession We repent. Last week we heard, we talked about the importance of repentance. It's saying sorry and saying, I'm ready. I want to change my behavior. Part of corporate worship, us gathering together, is I need to stand next to brothers and sisters who say, we know, we have erred, we have sinned. See, I get the impression in in Jerusalem when they were going to the temple, their worship wasn't, I'm sorry. It was, yeah, but look at those godless, awful people out there. You know who's to blame for our society? Those, those aliens in our midst. You know, there's a lot of sermons probably about the evil out there and the evil people out there, but not in here. We're good. It's the wrong motivation. We come in here and say, you know what the problem is? Me, us. Let's take care of our own house. We say, Lord, I'm so, so sorry. I was reading this past week. There was a woman po- posted a video online. And she was going to Disneyland and she had a four-year-old in her family, in their family. And she put her four-year-old in a stroller and had him curl up his legs and put a blanket over him, over his legs, up to here. So just his face was shown. And as they're walking, paying their tickets, she, you know, it was clearly that she was trying to say, I have an under-two-year-old baby in, in here. And the video, she kept filming, and they let her go through, didn't have to pay. They went through the gate, and then this four-year-old jumped out of the stroller, began running around in circles, clearly was too big for that stroller. And she said, look what I did. I got him, in, got him in for free. I was proud of this. What astounded me, now I have to be careful, this was online. I know that's a whole different world. But online, what astounded me were the comments that people made on this video overwhelming. I mean, almost every single one was, oh, good for you. Good for you. If you can get away with it, absolutely. You know how expensive Disneyland is? They should let everyone in. No, no, no. I mean, it just went on and on and on. People were congratulating her for job well done. I couldn't believe it. I was waiting for somebody to comment with the voice of Jeremiah that said, yeah, but God's watching. I wanted to interject and say, but do you, do you not, did you forget that? God sees. He's watching. He knows. So we gather for worship and we say, Lord, I know you know. I'm sorry. The second thing I think we say when we gather here is we say to the Lord, help me. We gather together to say, Lord, I need your help. I can't manage this life on my own. I'm a terrible life manager. I, my mind water, wanders. Sin seems easy to me, and I, yet I know deep down how destructive it is to me. Lord, I need to stand with others, my brothers and sisters, and say together corporately, I'm sorry. But we also say, Lord, we need help. And that's why the sermon is important and why Sunday school is really important. We are teaching each other and reminding each other and learning about how Jesus lived this life. He's a model for us and he taught and he showed us how to live this life right and I need to learn more and more and more and more. Lord help me, help me, help me, help me. The people in Judah who were going to worship, they were not asking for the Lord's help. They were using the Lord as a safety net against all harm. In humility we have to say, Lord would you help us? We know we don't have it figured out. We need help. There's a story in the book of John, a familiar, famous story, when Jesus one day was going and he saw a man sitting by a pool. He had been invalid and he'd been there for 38 years. 38 years sitting by this pool with all kinds of other people who were invalid. And and the thought was that the waters would be stirred Every so often. And when they were stirred, the first person into the pool would be healed. And Jesus walks up to this man. And you got to remember, this is 38 years sitting there on a mat. And Jesus says, do you want to be well? The man says, no one can put me into the water. He's a little bit of a whiner, complainer. And Jesus lifts him up. Heals him, restores him. He says, go show yourself to the priest, and the man goes away, goes to the temple. Years ago, I heard an African-American preacher preaching on this text in a very fiery, wonderful sermon. He got to this point after the man had been healed, and he said, what a tragedy. What a complete tragedy. What a tragedy. He kept saying that over and over again. I'm thinking, what is a tragedy? This is a nice story. The man had been healed. That Jesus healed the man. This is what we teach in Sunday school. There's no tragedy here. This is wonderful. And he kept saying that. What a tragedy. And then he said that a man who had been healed didn't think to go back to the pool and help others who had been there for so long. 38 years sitting there, he would have got to know all those people. And now he's been given life. He's been given freedom. He has his legs. He can move and So what a tragedy that his first thought was, now how can I serve and lift up and carry and help those around? You see, I need help to be reminded weekly that's the Jesus call on my life. You've been given everything. You've been blessed. Now, look what you can do. Go back. Worship should move us to care for the poor, the orphan. Worship should move us to call this afternoon a family member and say, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Worship should move us to say, I I, I forgive you for what you've done. We can't separate worship on Sunday morning from justice. We can't separate the ethical behavior that we have during the week from worship. It ought to be integrated. And this is the place where we ought to be motivated and hear the call, now go and practice this. Come back next Sunday and get renewed and then go and practice this. Come back and renew and practice this. We need the Lord's help. Finally, we arrive at worship and we should be saying thank you. I'm sorry, help me, and then thank you. Some of the best words that we can say, and it wasn't happening in Jerusalem. Their worship should have been centered around the fact that God had rescued them and pulled them out of slavery. 400 years of slavery. Every word out of their mouth ought to have been, Lord, thank you. And instead, they went and got other gods and started worshiping them. Thank you. We need to come and gather and worship and say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sins. Thank you for giving me everything I have. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I need to do that corporately with others, brothers and sisters. And I, I think we ought to be completely undone by God's mercy and grace. We gather and we confess our sins and then Pastor Lynn shared a, a, a assurance of pardon and forgiveness this morning in the service. I mean, our, our attitude to that ought to be, did, did she just say that? Did you just say that? Me? After what I did this week? After all my th- thoughts? You mean I'm, I, I'm forgiven? Wow. Wow. I need to hear that every week. I need to hear it more often than that, but I really do need to gather and hear it and, 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 and be reminded of how powerful that truth is and be so grateful and say, thank you, Lord, for that great gift. And then leave this place. If I leave this place and I'm not generous with others, I'm missing the whole point because what grateful people most want to do is to Give. In worship, we enter into God's vastness. We see his large presence in our world. And soon we discover that our tasks of caring are rooted in God's generosity, his goodness. I was reading this past week um, Malcolm Gladwell. He has, uh, is a, is a, I think, a, written some really clever, wonderful books and done a number of podcasts and different things. And he talked about how he was invited to a wedding of a friend who was a Mennonite recently. A Mennonite, Mennonites are a small evangelical community devoted to service and community and reconciliation. He said it was a, it was a wonderful wedding. It was inside the church and it was a typical normal wedding and, but then after the wedding, he went outside for the reception with everybody else, and they were surprised to see something really interesting. Normally, when you come to a wedding reception, there is a receiving line, right? The wedding party, and you congratulate them, well done, well done. You get to the groom, congratulations. And you get to the bride, and, and, and she, you, know, you tell her how wonderful she looks and everything, and, and that's congratulations, that's what you do at a wedding reception, receiving line. He said, but this one was different. We went outside and we discovered that the wedding party rushed out fast and they were all ready. When you got, to, there were tables set up and at the head of the table was the father of the, of the groom and he, had, he was giving people little picnic baskets and it had your silverware in it and everything ready. And then the food was ready to go and you went to the first person and it was one of the groomsmen and he's serving you mashed potatoes and he puts it on your plate. And then one of the bridesmaids, the whole wedding party down the line." And at the very end of the line was the bride serving macaroni and cheese. Her big worry that day was finding the right apron to fit over her wedding gown. And then Gladwell has this line, he says, It was amazing a receiving line had been turned into a service line. That day, they wanted the people coming to that wedding to feel loved and cared for and served. But wait a minute. This is the bride and groom's big day. You don't get these days very often. This is the day for them. You're supposed to hire people to do this. But they had a different mentality. In worship, it's Jesus' big day. He is the object of all adoration and praise. He's the one who deserves all the attention and all of the glory. In worship, we discover a receiving line. We line up, we come in here, a receiving line to be with Him and to tell Him, You are amazing. You are the object of my desire. You've done everything. This is your day. Everything to you, Jesus. And then we are astounded to discover that He transforms that receiving line into a service line. And when we arrive, he says, now, let me wash your feet. Here, eat this. This is my body broken for you. For you. I need to be reminded of that every week. That this is the Lord we have who kneels down and serves us. And then who says, now, would you follow me and do likewise? Care for the poor? Learn someone's name who's homeless. Give generously. Forgive often. Will you do those things? Our Lord wants us to receive Turn the receiving line into a service line in our community, in our world. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for these words. They're hard words to hear. They really do cut. Jeremiah's words cut to the core of our being. But we're reminded that you are such a generous and merciful and loving God. You love us. And you ask us to participate in all that you're doing in our world. We need your help. We need your love and your forgiveness. And we thank you that you so generously give all of that to us. Uh, We're grateful for Jesus this day. We pray in his name. Amen.